This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. COP28, the 28th session of the Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, was held in Dubai from the 30th of November to the 13th of December 2023. So it was bound to be a slightly controversial COP being held in the UAE, whose economy is heavily dependent on oil and gas. But that said, among the many outcomes from the negotiations was the agreement to transition away from fossil fuels, as opposed to phasing out all fossil fuels, and also the 700 million US dollars being pledged to the loss and damage fund, which, as we know, falls a bit short of the estimated 400 billion US dollars uh, damage caused by climate change each year. So what were the controversies and highlights at COP28? And more importantly, what lies ahead following these negotiations for an already climate impacted world? So today on the show, I'm joined by Binakshi Raman. She's the president of Sahabat Allah Malaysia. She's also the head of programs at the Third World Network. She was in Dubai uh, last year. We're going to find out what what happened? Welcome, Mina. How are you today? Um, very well, Juliet. Nice to have you back on the show, Mina. And this is our first show of the year. So, you know, Happy New Year. It's always lovely to see you. We want to find out what happened at COP. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of time since, you know, everything went down. But uh, I guess we just wanted to digest and to find out, more importantly, what to do moving forward, right? So uh, you, of course, were there in your capacity, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the head of programs for Third World Network and president of Sahaba Alam Malaysia. Yeah, not your first rodeo, of course. No, no, no. It was my 16th COP. 16th, and, uh, my goodness. Yeah, so quite prepared for the long haul. Okay. Which right. I called actually the Dubai Marathon. Yeah, it went into <laughs> overtime again, didn't it? Yeah, but only by one day. I mean, I think uh, to to my own pleasant surprise, it was one day over. I expected it to be two days over. So it was good that it ended only one day over. Can I just ask, you know, for delegates like you, right, you're always prepared la, that, you know, you're going to have to extend it by a few days, more, most likely, la, huh? Yes, yes, yes. We prepare, you know, we don't make the mistake of booking our tickets exactly on the day <laughs> following, you know, the official um, uh, announcement. But always we know that there will be spillover. Mm. And particularly this year, it was ex- uh, very, quite controversial because it was the first time that um, in 2023, the, it's supposed to be the global stock take uh, of the Paris Agreement. That That's means right. to um, assess the collective progress of parties um, in the implementation of the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot at stake, right? And um, okay, let's let's get to, you know, sort of like a breakdown of what happened, right? I mean, the opening day itself, you know, made headlines everywhere, right? The COP28 presidency was said to have scored a really big win when they oversaw that new agreement on the operalization. I can never say the word. Operationalization. That's the word. Operation, yeah. (laughs) I can never get that one. Uh, Of a fund to pay for the loss and damage caused by climate change, right? You want to, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but maybe you can just help explain what that's all about again. Yeah, if you recall the last time that we spoke, um, it was good that um, the under the um, Sham al-Sheikh decision in Egypt, there was supposed to be the establishment of the fund and there was a transitional committee that was established um, to actually put in the details of how the fund was going to be, what kind of uh, what they call the governing instrument, how is it going to be. Um, actually um, institutionalized. Um, And I remember that um, I did explain that the big fight was over whether it would be the World Bank that is going to host the fund or whether it is a standalone fund. 
and finally what was agreed to after you know four meetings and actually in the fifth meeting of the transitional committee there was a decision and thanks to the emiratis for actually hosting that additional extra one meeting of the transitional committee which took place in october because the uh, four meetings couldn't decide on the fund and the mm-hmm. details but the last meeting did because of the big uh, north south fights um and so uh, given the fact that that the agreement was to have the world bank in the interim arrangement of four years to host the loss and damage fund um so that subject to many conditions and so once um the fund is up and running um and if the world bank accepts the conditions that were imposed then we will see how the fund uh, unfolds and of course the board of the fund is actually the most important component of the fund mm-hmm. and that board of the fund is supposed to be set up already in january with uh, nominations coming from various parts of the world the, the various un regions who are supposed to have representatives so and uh, as you said the the united arab emirates the cop28 presidency wanted actually to start with a big bang on a very positive note and since much of the work was actually to the credit of the egyptians the previous presidency who hammered out a lot of the details leaving the final details at the last meeting and then um have with this agreement coming to dubai and one of the big concerns was whether the united states will reopen the decision which was taken and luckily they did not i think the stakes were far too high nobody wanted to uh, you know start um, uh revisiting the very difficult decision reached and so the united states went along mm-hmm. and uh, this is in relation to whether the de- developed countries have a mandatory obligation to contribute to the fund and developing countries only having a voluntary obligation yeah. which is what um the is the understanding and so um finally the loss and damage fund came to be with the adoption of this decision so the cop presidency wanted to have a positive um decision right at the outset so that the mood was set for you know all the other decisions because the cop was going to be very difficult particularly with the global stock take and the whole discussion around the fossil fuel issue so knowing that that, that was coming this was to set the good mood so and it's not usual that you gavel a decision on the first day mm. and this is what the emiratis did to set the mood and of course there were um over 100 uh, heads of state and so on and even the um, our young diputwan agong attended um the first two days of the high level summit so they set the momentum for what was to come um in the in the next few days which was not easy and so so that was how it was Okay, and just going back to the fund, right? So that that figure I mentioned, so that was seven uh, hundred million US dollars had been pledged, right? Um, but you know, we, as we've spoken about before, for you know, throughout these years, that's hardly enough, right? It's only pledges, huh? these are only pledges. pledges these yeah. are promises. Okay. Whether they will actually be delivered is another story. For instance, the United States actually pledged seventeen point five million dollars. Million, huh? this is really peanuts. very small amount from the united states oh, wow. but this is also subject to approval by congress so it's not final and so all the other governments as well who have, but the emirati started with 100 million they promised 100 million they kicked it off 
Um, and then um, you had Germany also kicking it off and then others coming on. So initially, actually, it was about 400 million that was announced yes. on the first day of the talks itself. But I think as the days went by, more and more came in. So 700 million is nothing. Um, what the developing countries have been calling for actually is a flaw of at least 100 billion a year. Um, and but or, or 100 to 150 billion a year. But what you actually need is far, far much more, you know, um, a much bigger level. But we are nowhere there. So this is one of the things that uh, we'll have to look and see whether there will actually be um, a much bigger scale in the level of funds that come into the loss and damage fund. Okay, so we don't actually know about the, the funding streams. We don't actually know how the fund will work yet. All of those things need to be hammered out some more? Yeah, well, the, the governing instrument is there. Certain okay. decisions have been taken. So they have to be, I mean, we say this is the, on paper, it says this is how it will be operationalized. But now that has to be um, unfold. Mm -hmm. It has to unfold with okay. the board taking decisions. And then there will be, uh, they will probably seek, actively seek um, um, funds to come in. And then there will also have to be appointment of an executive director. So a lot of work to do. Okay. Okay. Because I was reading some other, you know, uh, comments from uh, other uh, NGOs, for example. They said that you know the summit didn't quite deliver on climate finance. You know, the issue has just been pushed to COP twenty nine. Is that something you would agree with? Totally, because um, the loss and damage fund was much more about the institution of the fund itself and its creation and establishment. And so, as we said, as we as we say, only seven hundred million in the kitty, and a lot more needs to happen. So that's something that we will expect, but. At Dubai, um, nothing much was delivered on finance at all. In fact, it was it was it was actually quite dismal in terms of um, the issue of finance. But the more critical um, decision will be taken next year. Um, sorry, 2024. Well, sorry, yes, it's just... I'm I'm still in 2023. But um, as you know, the next COP is actually in Azerbaijan in mm -hmm. Baku, and that's COP 29. And 2024 will be the year where there will be a decision um, on what the new collective goal is of finance going to be. I mean, why we say new is that the old figure of 100 billion per year, that figure that came out of um, Copenhagen mm. um, in 2011 and then in Cancun in 2012. And now that 100 billion, which actually still has not been met annually, um, it's very, you know, there was a big fight in Dubai about whether the 100 billion was achieved in 2022. And the developed countries said that we are um, almost reaching to, uh, 100 billion. But the developing countries were saying you can't be talking about almost reaching because you're supposed to be have delivered. So you can't you have to speak the truth. And the truth is that it's not been delivered. So so that was for the old figure of 100 billion annually. And this is for um, the implementation of actions um, by, you know, actually by 2020, which then got expanded to by 2025. So the new goal, which is supposed to be post-2025, is supposed to be a certain number, which is to be defined based on the priorities of developing countries based on the needs and 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 um, and priorities not based on some political figure 
that was what the 100 billion was in Copenhagen. The United States has proclaimed um, 100 billion, which was not um, right. latched onto any need. So this time around, um, there is this, what Dubai, in Dubai, a decision was taken as to how the process will be to determine this new goal. And it's the, and what they, the developing countries wanted is that no more just talk, talk. They actually wanted a negotiating space so that come the first meeting that they will hold called um, um, an ad hoc work program where they will begin to start discussing how to develop a negotiating text, meaning they want to negotiate. They don't want to simply just not have a workshop where you chat, chat and so on. But this is really, which, which they have been doing for the last two years. It's called the dialogues, technical expert dialogues, which I've also attended. So it's all, all a lot of chat and a lot of discussion, but nothing really in terms of what the number, the quantum has to be and, um, you know, how it's going to be delivered and so on. So that will be hammered out this year in 2024 and it's going to start. So that is what Azerbaijan will be about. Um, what is the global uh, goal on finance, which will be um, determined and for what time frame? Is it until 2030 or is it beyond? And so these are the discussions that will go on. Okay, all right. Let's just go for a quick break, Mina. When we come back, let's talk about that whole, uh, well, there was a lot of controversy, right, over the phasing out of uh, fossil fuels or the uh, transition away from fossil fuels, which uh, came out in the official text. Let's find out about that after this quick break. I'm speaking today to Minakshi Raman. She's the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia. She's the head of programs at the Third World Network. We're talking about uh, COP28, which was, of course, last year. Uh, we're talking about the conclusions, the controversies, and also the challenges ahead. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. On the line with me today, Minakshi Raman, the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia and the head of programs at the Third World Network. It's our very first episode of Earth Matters this year and we're looking back at what happened at COP28. So what happened there, the conclusions, what were the controversies, but of course, what are the challenges ahead? And of course, Mina, there are many challenges ahead, uh, unfortunately. So, okay, before the break, we spoke about um, what was considered a big win. But uh, as you meant, uh, as you said, you know, still a lot there. So that was climate financing, right? Um, the other thing that was quite, uh, well, that made the headlines everywhere was the, this was the first COP to officially acknowledge that fossil fuels are the root cause of climate change, right? And, that, uh, and this has never happened before. I mean, can you tell us more about that? Though that's true. I think if you remember in Glasgow, uh, there was this big fight about um, the phase down of um, unabated coal, if you recall. Yes. Uh, there was no mention of fossil fuels because the developed countries um, were only focused on coal because they have um, literally not, are not so reliant on coal anymore. And the coal is being relied on largely by developed country, developing countries particularly China and India and others. Mm -hmm. and so this, that was where the focus was. So this year at Dubai, um, the big discussion was actually to spotlight um, the fossil fuel phase out. And so to, actually to the credit of the COP28 presidency, um, if you remember, and you yourself started saying, as you said, that you know um, the COP28 president was actually the... Um, Chief, the CEO of um, the National Oil Corporation of the United Arab Emirates. Yeah. 
And so he was under heavy criticism as to whether the Emiratis will deliver a decision on facing out of fossil fuels because, um, and of course, as, as you may have read and you probably know, thousands of um, huge, huge fossil fuel interest, interests were there. Yeah. You know, they were one of the largest um, in terms of numbers that were present. And so, you know, it's to be expected um, that they would be um, very interested in uh, or engaged, very engaged in, in, and of course will try to influence the outcome. Um, so so the, the given all that, I think uh, what the Emiratis did pull off was actually um, something that was never done before in terms of even the mention of the word fossil fuels in the decision text. So to that, to that extent, I think um, this is why it was seen as history, uh, because the focus has always been on the emissions and the reductions of, em on, of emissions but not on the sources of the emissions. Okay. And in fact, um, a number of countries, particularly from the um, OPEC and so on, were not, were, were not happy with the fact that there was a focus on sources of, of um, emissions rather than on the emissions itself, reduction of emissions. But whatever I said and done, I think given the fact that the Emiratis were based in the Gulf, they, they probably you know, worked um, behind the scenes particularly to bring along the, um, the countries in the Middle East who, like Saudi Arabia, for instance, who rely on, um, as, a, as a primary commodity, yeah, that's the only commodity on which the entire economy is based, yeah. just as the Emiratis and, and others. And so, um, so this was a big deal in that sense. So the fact that I think the uh, COP28 presidency pulled it, pulled this off. That's why it was quite a big headline news. But of course, the language which was adopted was um, was quite controversial because the initial text was talking about face fossil fuel phase out. Mm -hmm. Of course, there was no no target. There was no year. There was no time frame which was which was mentioned. It just the initial reference was fossil fuel phase out, and then of course you had the um, island states, um, the alliance of small island states, even at the final, after the decision was adopted, they actually criticized and said that, you know, we were not in the room, this, this decision was adopted when we were not in the room because they apparently were having some kind of co uh, coordination meeting that was happening going through the text. And uh, the complaint was that the meeting was called on, a decision was adopted without them being in the room. So we, we still don't know what was the actual story of that, but that's mm. what we heard. Okay. And so what they did was they the islands actually criticized the decision. They said that although there are good elements there, but they, it doesn't go far enough to secure for them um, a livable planet. Because what they were saying is that, um, you know, you, first of all, you're talking about a transition away from fossil fuels, and there is also no target in terms of the time frame. But what is more concerning also, there was also language about um, reliance on transition fuels. And because that, that while, while on the one hand, we talk about accelerating the, I mean, for transitioning away from fossil fuels, there is reference to reliance on transition fuels, right. which um, is seen as a fossil fuel, which is gas. Mm -hmm. So the gas is seen as a fossil fuel. So for them, it, they were critical of that. They said that, look, you know, this 
continues to keep open the, the, the door for fossil fuel reliance. And also this will lead to stranded assets and so on. So they, they critiqued the, the, the decision for not going far enough. On the other hand, there were also other numbers, right? There was apart from uh, facing, I mean, not facing out, but transitioning away from fossil fuels. Like I said, no target. It doesn't say developed countries take the lead. This was where many developing countries were very critical because they said that, you know, in a kind of moving to a new form of energy, like this, we talked, they talked about, there was a target there about tripling um, renewable energy capacity by 2030, and then um, energy, global energy efficiency by doubling energy efficiency by 2030. Now, all this actually requires the finance and developed countries to take the lead. But those, uh, that particular language linking it to the means of implementation, in negotiations, it's called the means of implementation, finance, technology, transfer capacity building. They were not, they were not there in that particular paragraph, which was talking about the the the, the fossil fuel transitioning away. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the question was, how are developing countries going to be able to do this? Are they able to going to be uh, implementable, particularly when there is no difference between developed and developing countries? the common but differentiated responsibility, which is constantly stressed. So these were some of the battlegrounds in terms of, of, of that. So um, in the final um, adoption, after the adoption of the text of the decision, a number of countries like Bolivia, Cuba, Venezuela, and others actually proclaimed and said, our understanding of this decision in relation to these global targets are that it has to be on the premise of finance for developing countries, technology transfer and capacity building, and it also means that developed countries take the lead. So, so, so they wanted to underscore that as their understanding. So the other thing that we also need to, to acknowledge is that you know, some of us were not cheering. We didn't cheer this. It was quite divided, actually. The, re the reactions were quite mixed. Um, there were a number of civil society that were cheering first time mention of fossil fuels in the text. Yeah. For us, for, for, for Third World Network and others from the global campaign to demand climate justice, we were quite critical because what we were saying was that if you are very serious, then you've, you've, you would have set targets for particularly the developed countries to do it much more rapidly. And since there was no such target and there's no urgency on the part of the developed world who have the capacity, and since one of the things that I have been mentioning quite a lot in terms of what you should look at is really the carbon budget. Mm -hmm. What is the amount of carbon budget left to limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees? And we have about 8 to 10 years left, a decade left. And that should have been the basis, not this general. There was, there was no, um, you know, there was a lot of effort on the part of developing countries, particularly the like-minded developing countries, and with India and China and others who are wanting to focus on the carbon budget. Because this is, if you look at the history and how four-fifths of the budget have also already been used up, overused by the developed world, the developed world must transition urgently, rapidly now and go into negative emissions, not an undefined you know, timeline. And then with the use of also those controversial technologies, 
that was the other thing that the AOCs, the small island states, criticized, and many civil society criticized as well: carbon capture and storage, promotion of nuclear power, uh, you know, as an alternative fuel, and so um, and removal technologies, whatever they mean. So a lot of worry and concern about the kind of technologies that that are actually not tested, even carbon capture and storage, which Malaysia also is exploring. You know, it's not been tested, it's not been proven, and it's actually very uh, risky. And we don't even have laws in place to to do the proper environmental assessments and so on and so forth. And so with all this in mind, so just having the mention of the word fossil fuels doesn't give you the kind of security that you need in terms of a real, implementable, translatable plan that will allow developed countries to do it rapidly and for developing countries to be enabled to do it in terms of a real transition or a just and orderly transition. So these were some of the problems. The other was the hypocrisy that we were pointing out. Because even as they were adopting the decision, developed countries have put in place fossil fuel expansion plans and approving licenses for expansion of oil and gas. And um, so it's quite hypocritical. So there, there they were talking about limiting temperature rise to 1.5. This is our North Star. Everyone talked about the 1.5 limit. They called it the North Star with the COP28 presidency at least starting it as a North Star. That was the, so the whole world is aligned to the North Star and this 1.5. And you know, for those of us who know better, in terms of all these false promises of of you know putting in place fossil fuel expansion and production plans, there were also um, civil society pap papers which came out, research papers that came out to show that the um, Inflation Reduction Act of the U.S., for instance, they don't actually lead you to a rapid fossil fuel phase out. Actually, they allow for increased fossil fuel expansion. So. If you don't know the details and you don't know the background, you would think that this is a great conference to cheer and so on. But a lot of us, we were many of us, the, the, those of us in the activist world, who sat there listening to from John Kerry to all these the Europeans <laughs> to all the others championing this. We were saying, what hypocrites they are. Because we know at home, it's the complete reversal of what they were promising. And so this is the unfortunate part of the talks, as, 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 as we know. But um, of course, as we say, um, this is something that we need to move forward with. And so for developing countries, what is absolutely critical is actually the finance. Even for a country like Malaysia, for instance, I mean, about 20% 20, 20 of our um, budget comes from Petronas revenue. Mm. And so even when we talk about the transitioning away from fossil fuels, Who's going to plug that 20% of the budget? Where is that going to come from? And what? And, and is it fair to have uh, developing countries being pushed to transition as fast as the developed world, who have had all this, uh, you know, the capability, the financial might, the technology, and that whole history that they have, which they would, did not do. And so expecting developing countries to do that in a rapid way is difficult. So I think this whole issue of, the equity, the equity between the North and the South, the principle of common but differentiated responsibility. These were the hardest fights because the developed countries constantly did not want to recognize 
these principles and they kept undermining under undermining the text in relation to this and so the only thing that we have there is that this decision is consistent with the paris agreement so mm-hmm. a general a general reference to the paris agreement but of course this means that for us we interpret it this way for them they will interpret it they can't interpret it another way because there is only one paris agreement which recognizes equity and common but differentiated responsibility so it's going to be a big um, thing to watch because the global stock take process is supposed to inform the preparation of the next ndcs which is the nationally determined contributions every country is supposed to forward your ndc your, your what you're going to do whether in terms of your emission reductions whether in terms of your adaptation whether even in terms of the your needs of finance and technology that you need what what developing countries should put how do you are going to address loss and damage so all this is going to be actually be informed um and they are supposed to communicate this by 2025 so mm-hmm. the finance goal this year in 2024 is very important because that goal will determine to what extent developing countries can be ambitious because the current finance goal that is being talked about is to implement the ndcs which are from 2021 to 2030 what we have to the new nationally determined contribution is post 2030 it's 2031 to 2035 okay we're talking about five year kind of cycle um in terms of the ndc communication so the next ndc communication what that will be will depend very much on what is coming out of this that has come out of this global stock take what are countries going to do in terms of renewable energy how are they going to improve energy efficiency what are they going to do in terms of um transitioning away from fossil fuels so um, all that is quite quite important to watch and see, to really see whether the developed countries who actually talk about ambitious whether they are ambitious enough because we from civil society have said that they are not ambitious enough because they don't do what they have to do in terms of is taking into account historical and cumulative emissions of the past and how they have to be net negative by now and that's not happening and so this north star and the and and whether the 1.5 will be the limit will be um, achievable is something that actually is quite worrying okay so there was i mean i mean we read a lot about the oil and gas influence there was a lot of greenwashing i mean and that kind of resulted in also that watered down language in the official document so i mean all of that also things that you witnessed happening as well or you would say definitely happened Well the thing is about the watered down of course when you look at the text itself they were watering down mm. but i think what is important is as i said if there was an honest assessment at the global stock take about the, the because the focus what we are talking about is only on mitigation which is emissions reduction mm. we're not even talked about adaptation as yet but if you look at the emission reductions as i said and if you don't look at the at the challenge that at that developing countries have in terms of you know post independence and you know fairly a lot of a lot of our economies are fairly young compared to what the developed countries have gone through and for them they haven't even done the transformation that they have done and for developing countries to take it on so the final um, decision that was taken was a balance okay how much because if they if they it, it 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 you have to assess whether you know if there is no developed countries taking the lead if there is no 
means of implementation. How can you expect, particularly the emerging economies, countries like Malaysia, countries like India, countries like China, countries like Indonesia and all the other emerging economies in the developing world, to actually say, yes, we will, we will be able to phase out fossil fuels very mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to do it right. as fast as you can. Because so, so the challenge is quite um, an enormous one. And I think if you, ta- if you just say that, you know, the language is not sufficient enough. Yes, the language is not sufficient enough. But I think what's critical is actually the enabling of that to happen. So it's good that the signal is there. The fossil fuel sector knows that there will be a transition away from the fossil fuel sector. There is going to be an accelerated first phase out of coal power. That was acknowledged. Of course, there was language that was proposed to not allow for new coal power plants. That got deleted. Um, okay. That did not fly. So then there is this transition fuels that I mentioned about with, with gas there being present. So it's a it's a hodgepodge. Lah. It was a balance that was struck. Given the political consensus at that time, that was what was possible. Okay. All right. Just one more quick break, Mina. When we come back, I guess uh, one of, some other outcomes, but also you know what we what we need to do moving forward. I'm speaking today to Minakshi Raman, President of Sahabat Alam Malaysia and the Head of Programs at the Third World Network. We're breaking down what happened uh, last year at COP28, uh, some of the controversies, some of the conclusions, but also the challenges that lie ahead. We'll have more after one more quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Jilla Jacobs. Joining me today, Minakshi Raman, the President of Sahabat Alam Malaysia and the Head of Programs at the Third World Network. Mina is helping us to break down what happened at COP28 last year, uh, some of the controversies, some of the conclusions or lack thereof, and some of the challenges ahead, which is what we're going to be talking about now. So Mina, there was, um, I mean, what are the, some of the other outcomes that you think uh, you know, were very important? Um, there was, of course, the global goal on adaptation. You want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Yes, I think while the whole world was watching on what uh, was important on the fossil fuel side of the decision, what was missed um, from the big radar was actually what's called the global goal on adaptation. This was actually a very big push by the developing countries um, to actually ensure that there is a way in which we measure what kind of progress is being made under adaptation. Because as I've explained before, When you look at emission reductions and you look at the mitigation element, we talk about the temperature limit. And so that's the goal. You limit temperature rise to well below 1.5, for instance, compared to pre-industrial era. The Paris Agreement also has another goal on um, adaptation, but it has never been outlined. So one of the push from developing countries was, how do we look at this goal? And um, after a lot of difficulties, Finally, there was a decision that was um, agreed to where um, there is a framework now. It's called the um, UAE Framework for Global Climate Resilience. That's important. Framework for Global Climate Resilience, which is going to guide the efforts, including um, the, the transformational and incremental adaptation. Now, people are still coming to grips as to what is transformational adaptation, what is incremental adaptation. All this is going to be something that will that we work has to be worked out. But the point is, this is about strengthening efforts at, um, you know, strengthening adaptive capacity. 
um, reducing the vulnerability and enhancing um, the capability or, and resilience uh, of countries to, from, to, to cope with the rising temperature, for instance. Okay. And so that's important because seldom we pay attention to this. And so this was quite critical. So one of the things that has been agreed to is that there's a, a couple of targets um, that, we, that is supposed to be achieved by 2030 and beyond. And so this is, this is uh, some of the ways in which you measure whether we actually have achieved the objectives um, of the global adaptation goal. And among them, for instance, just to give you an example, significantly reducing climate-induced water scarcity, okay. enhancing climate resilience to water-related hazards, you know, water, which is so important, water and adaptation, a very key aspect. Another aspect, how do you attain climate-resilient food and agricultural production? Because, you know, as temperature rises or as we're feeling climate impacts, our food uh, ability to produce food is being impacted. So is, is the food and agriculture system resilient to the climate impacts? So that's, a, that's another very important aspect. The third aspect, which was relating to health, attaining resilience against climate change related to health impacts, very, very important. Because, you know, you have climate-related morbidity, mortality, and so on, deaths due to climate like high high temperatures, and you have um, many people dying, or or a drought and deaths related to that, or rise of diseases, rise of pests, and so on and so forth, due to climate-induced impacts. So these are aspects that uh, that that we are supposed to also look into in terms of the global goal on adaptation. Another is to reduce the climate impacts on ecosystems and biodiversity making sure that uh, we accelerate the use of ecosystem-based adaptation, which means in restoration, conservation, protection of ecosystems, all that which is critical, increasing the resilience of infrastructure and human settlements, another important aspect, and substantially reducing effects on, on, on poverty eradication, for instance. So, And also another aspect is cultural, preserving um, cultural practices and heritage sites. Okay. So these are very important targets um, that, for the first time, have been articulated this way. And 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 and, and further from that, the there's a, we are supposed to recognize and enhance um, assessment of risk, assessment of vulnerability, um, and even by 2025 to have in place all countries to have in place. Sorry, 2027. By 2027, all countries having in place multi-hazard warning systems, climate information services for risk reduction. Okay. All this is very critical. Yeah. Also planning. Uh, planning mm -hmm. by 2030, the parties are supposed to have in place um, national adaptation plans, which are gender responsive, which are country driven, which are participatory, and which are actually national plans, adaptation plans, which include vulnerable communities and have mainstreamed adaptation. Very important. So another aspect is implementation. By 2030, countries have progressed in implementing their national adaptation plans. 
Now in Malaysia, for instance, we are just drawing up our national adaptation plan. So let alone implementation. Only now we have a drawing up and it might take another two, three years to, to have a national adaptation plan. Then comes implementation by 2030. And then there's also aspects of monitoring and evaluation um, of how much countries have done in relation to the adaptive capacity. So this aspect is something that we often miss, but it's so critical. It's the step before loss and damage. Mm. You know, because yeah. loss and damage is one disaster, once disaster strikes and, you know, then you are in uh, damage land. But as adaptation is you're preparing your country to adapt to the adverse impacts already. Um, and that's really critical. For instance, if you have coastal communities living along the coast and you're coming to sea level rise or even erosion that we are facing, how resilient are we in terms of creating um, the adaptive capacity in building the resilience along the coast so that you actually are able to cope with the hazards as they come. So these are some of those important aspects. So I thought that, you know, for, 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 for us, we need to stress this importance of the global adaptation goal. Of course, um, the decision also recognizes that this uh, countries are, it's up to countries to voluntarily um, do this. It's not supposed to be a burden on countries and you cannot compare. It's not supposed to be comparable between one country and the other who's doing better or who's doing worse because adaptation is actually very, very country specific. Um, and also the other aspect is developing countries really pushing very hard for the means of implementation again. Yeah. That the extent to which they are able to actually cope in terms of enhancing their resilience and enhancing um, adaptation capacity is through the provision of the means of implementation. That was really, really a hard battle, but they fought hard and they managed to get this language that the extent to which they're able to actually meet these adaptation efforts is actually through the provision of the means of implementation by developed countries. So there was actually quite a good, big win on that side um, of for developing countries. Okay. So critical, very critical. So we we talk about loss and damage. We talk about mitigation, but and adaptation is another very important key pillar uh, and a growing pillar. Mm-hmm. And so practical, right? I mean, it, it, you would think that's what we should focus on before we talk about exactly. loss and damage, right? But yeah, there exactly. we are. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, Mina, we're just running out of time, but uh, COP29 is going to be in Azerbaijan, um, also a uh, oil and gas, uh, oil production <laughs> country, right? Okay. Interesting there. Um what what are some of the things that we need to focus on? What needs to be uh, sorted before uh, COP29 in Azerbaijan? For me, I think uh, Azerbaijan will definitely be all about finance. Okay. Um, because, you know, the, like I said, um, the, the big um, issue in Dubai with the mitigation decision on um, uh, renewable energy, on energy efficiency, on transitioning away from fossil fuels, all that can only happen with finance. Adaptation can happen with finance. Loss and damage, finance. So it'll be finance, finance, finance. And so beginning this year, a lot of focus has to be on finance. And we hope that uh, Malaysia will pay very strong attention to this. Um, because um, given that we are um, a party to the convention and also to the Paris Agreement, we are entitled as developing countries to access international finance 
very, very critical. And uh, the finance needs are growing um, but, uh, as our adaptation needs are, are identified, as our transitioning away from fossil fuels are also obvious. And we're talking about trillions in terms of the transition. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so it's not only our problem. And so even loss and damage. So, you know, Malaysia should actually uh, have a strong focus on identifying our own needs of finance and also technology and capacity building. Because uh, capacity building is another key area. Where is it that we lack capacity? How can we strengthen that? What can we learn from the international system? So these are things that we need to strengthen on and therefore also advance at the international level. So um, we'll be watching very much. And as civil society, we will be taking part quite greatly in the this process on the new collective quantified goal on finance, okay. what they call um, NCQG, new collective quantified goal on finance. So that will be the headline coming out of Baku. And uh, the more the developing countries stand united, as we did in the loss and damage fund, and strongly push and advance their interests in terms of ensuring that it is uh, um, the goal is set in terms of the needs and priorities, in terms of the trillions that, that are needed, and in terms of the kind of sources of the funds that can happen, including on depending I, I mean, on you know special drawing rights, which is another form of reserve currency coming from the International Monetary Fund. These are not just from the developed world, but it requires the political will of the developed world to address them. So in special drawing rights. Um, just, just to, just I've spoken about this before, but just to give you an example, when the um, developed world suffered from the pandemic mm. Um, mm. and they, they had an economic crisis, um, $650 billion of uh, special drawing rights was issued by the International Monetary Fund. Um, to respond to that. So there, it's not about no money, but it can be done. And so this is something that's absolutely critical. Um, also in terms of diverting the fossil fuel subsidies of the North in particular, because they are supposed to phase out from their fossil fuel uh, subsidies. Of course, they have the term inefficient uh, fossil fuel subsidies, which is what is efficient, what is inefficient is becomes debatable. But in any case, Trillions of dollars of fossil fuel subsidies are given, particularly in the north, um, the G7 countries. So those trillions can actually be deployed for assisting developing nations to go to to meet our needs. So it's not an issue of no money. And of course, the biggest um, obvious um, problem is that there is money for war, like what's happening in the Gaza at the moment. Overnight, you have you know, millions and billions of dollars for military equipment and weapons for Israel to, to, to for the genocide that's happening there and even for funding Ukraine. But there's no not enough money for fun, for finance, climate finance. And so this is why I think um, if the world is really serious, then we have to re look at it and, and call out that there are these sources of money available. The issue is not one of lack of finance, but one of political will. So we really hope that Baku will have a good decision. And if only there is this international, you know, multilateralism, which is which is honest, which is supportive, which is truly one that delivers, you know, from the um, Paris Agreement onwards, then there's no, then there isn't this big continuous fight. 
for extracting much more from the developing world. Every time, you know, some of us have observed over the years that developing countries have been giving and giving. Yes, we give in to, to yes, we will do, we will do this. We promise to have nationally determined contributions. We promise to reduce our emissions. We promise to go to net zero, so on and so forth. But money is not forthcoming. Mm -hmm. So it cannot be a one-sided effort. So we really hope that this year again, that we have to deliver on the finance outcome, big time. Okay. So, well, anyway, you will be uh, attending, I think, even many more meetings even before you head to Azerbaijan. So we will uh, keep in touch with you, Mina. Um, before I let you go, any last message as we start the year? Anything at all you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, I do think that uh, we all need to pay attention to climate change. Um, it's not something that is far away. I think we've faced it. Um, we keep um, remembering, um, you know, the, the floods which are happening in Klantan and Trunganu and Pahang as we speak now. But it's not just any ordinary floods. It's, we cannot be business as usual anymore. Mm, yeah. We have to be taking it very seriously. And um, of course, it is likely to get worse. And of course, drought as usual. We will face all this. So my as, as, as my message for the year, continue to give high attention to climate change, make it a big priority, particularly in pushing our politicians, um, because we don't want um, false promises or bad promises. And of course, wrong technologies. So we are very worried about push for nuclear power. Many of us are very critical of that. Uh, we are also very concerned about the carbon capture and storage um, very little is known about it, but lots of push has come there. And so there's a lot that we need to understand on. And of course, the other concern we have is carbon markets. All this, um, you know, um, offsetting <laughs> big, big companies and big countries, uh, northern governments coming in to want to get our forest credits, you know, and we are selling these carbon credits as if they're going to solve the problem of the world. So this, this idea that you can continue to emit while you plant a tree, which actually doesn't make sense at all and is not scientific. So we need, to, we need to increase our knowledge, increase our understanding, increase our agitation and continue to be very concerned citizens because after all, this is, this is the only planet we have and we have a lot of responsibility for this generation and, on, on the, and the coming generations, of course. Mina, thank you so much for joining me today. I was speaking to Minakshi Rahman, the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia and the head of programs at the Third World Network. We were talking about the outcomes from COP28. If you'd like to find out more and read all the uh, you know wonderful articles that uh, the Third World Network has uh, published you know, from COP28 and from all of their research, you can head to their website. So that's twn.my. If you'd like to find out more about Sahabat Alam Malaysia, that website is foe-malaysia.org or you can follow them on their social media channels. But if you miss any part of our conversation, Conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.